This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you and welcome to the show. Our second feature of the half hour is the Bob Hope Show with special guest Al Jolson. I want to delve into this fabulous entertainer's life and career, so preserve that time a little bit. Let's go right to our first show this evening, Escape, and the episode When the Man Comes, first aired in 1949. Tired of the everyday routine. Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape. Escape, transcribed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are standing in a lonely canyon in the shadows of Superstition Mountain. While facing you, tempers ragged, guns drawn, are three men who at your first move toward hidden treasure will kill you. Today, with Paul Dubov, starred as Pascal, we escape to the Arizona desert and a lost treasure of a million dollars, as Ralph Bates told it in his most unusual story, When the Man Comes, Follow Him. I was wrong. I know that now. But what good's it do? How could you tell dead men that it's all your fault and you're sorry? No matter what you tell them, they're still dead. So what's the use? It never would have happened if we hadn't got mixed up in this superstition business. We was going along fine. All the other boys in Frisco respected us. Stayed out of our territory, at least most of the time. That was on account of the boss, Mr. Heineman. He was too smart for them, and they knew it. Smart, and a great guy along with it. Of course, some people might call him an ordinary racketeer, but he wasn't like that. Nobody could have treated me no better. And he was cultured, too. Loved music. Played a violin almost as good as this fellow, uh, Heifetz, or whatever his name is. Why, one time he sent me clear to New York to pick up a Stradivarius he'd heard about. And I had to hang around the dealer's store for two weeks before I got a chance to lift it. He wouldn't have trusted a job like that to any of the rest of the boys. He trusted me more than any of them. Me, Pascal. That's how come I feel so bad about what's happened. Because he trusted me. And he had to trust somebody, you understand. Because for 15 years, the boss had been stone blind. Come on, Pascal. Eyes, man. Give me eyes. But it's foggy down there, boss. I can't see the bay at all, just the end of the bridge. And out toward the Golden Gate, there's nothing but just fog. I guess it's going to rain. What about the street below us, Pascal? What's going on down there? Nothing. Just streetcars and taxis going up and down and a few people. Not very many. I tell you, boss, there's nothing doing at all. It's a very dull day. All right, forget it. You can come away from the window. 
Why don't you play the violin a while? No, not today. I'm too restless. Something is going to happen, I think. Happen? What's going to happen? I don't know. Something. Are any of the boys here? Brian and Daly in the next apartment playing gin rummy. You want I should call them? No. I wonder if you know what it's like, Pascal, to live always in pitch darkness, depending on somebody else to tell you what's going on around you. Ah, forget it, boss. You got me. I'm the eyes, you're the brain. We're doing all right. Maybe, only sometimes I wonder... I'll get it, boss. I'll get it. Mr. Heinemann's apartment. Who? Well, I'm not sure whether Mr. Heinemann... Who is it? Oh, I see. All right, thanks. That was the manager. Your brother's here from Phoenix. Mark? He's downstairs? Yeah. He's on his way up. The manager couldn't stop him. He says he looks like he's in pretty bad shape. Ever see a desert rat that didn't? No. Well, so I'm to be honored by a visit from my sanctimonious brother. I wonder what he wants. Oh, money as usual, three or four hundred dollars to finance another six months of prospecting, and he'll repay it by telling me what an evil man I am. I wouldn't give it to him, boss. Why not? As long as it keeps him over there on the Arizona desert, or most of the year, I can stand one or two visits from him. You can hear the elevator stopping. Better open the door. I still say you ought to crack down on him. Open the door. Uh, hello, Mark. Help. Come in. Me. Boss, he's heard of something. Me. What is it? Eyes, Pascal. Quick. Hasn't yeah. shaved for four or five days. He's weak, Help trembling. Me. Holding on to the doorframe with his right hand, holding his chest with the other hand. I think he's been shot, boss. Yes. Shot. Come on. Help yeah, me. Come inside. Take Pascal. it easy. Take it easy. Yeah, Here, yeah. Come, on. come on. Come on. Over on the couch. Okay. Uh, come on. Here we are, boss. Now, easy now. Uh, there. What happened, Mark? I had to get here. I want you to have it. So he can't... He's out of his head. Get Brian and Daly over here. Brian knows a lot about gunshot wounds. All right, boss. You... What happened, Mark? Who shot you? Shot. Connect me with 907. Had to come get on, here. Come on, come on. Hello, Brian. All the glitters is... All the... Fools. Oh, fools. Treasures of kings and princes... Die. Mark, you've got to get hold of yourself. Die. Had to get here. You get it instead of him. Watch out for him. Oh, Mark. Map. Old map and a new map. He doesn't even make sense. Look. Look. Eyes, Pascal, what's he doing? He's raised up a little. He's pointing with his finger at the carpet about four feet away. When you get there... Watch for it. When the man comes, follow him. Understand? Sure, Mark. When the man comes, follow him. Yes. When the man comes, follow him. What's he mean? I don't know. Follow him. What's up, boss? Pascal said you wanted me. Come in, Brian. This is my brother. He's been shot. See what you can do for him. Yeah. Let's have a look. I've got to think. I've got to think. What could he possibly have stumbled into? Yeah, this happened a couple of days ago, at least. Should have had a doctor right away. He wanted to get here for some reason, but why? It's Daly, boss. Well, what's coming off in here? You're not cooking up something and leaving little Daly out of it. Ain't I in this, Mom? Stop your barking, Daly, before I throw you a can of Strongheart. Don't get so smart now, Pascal. I got as much right to talk around here as you have. I said shut up. Uh, the boss's brother is here. He's been shot. He's in bad shape. Yeah, you're not kidding, Pascal. Matter of fact, he's about in as bad shape as he'll ever be. Boss, he's dead. That was the start of the thing. When a doc came, he said Mark should have died 24 hours earlier. Said he stayed alive long enough to get to Frisco on sheer nerve, nothing else. 
Mr. Heinemann, he don't say much. He let the doctor take charge of everything. There was a wallet and some other stuff in Mark's pockets. Mr. Heinemann, he took it with him and went into his own room and stayed there. After a while, the other boys drifted back to their rummy game, and finally, about 10 o'clock, I went to bed. At 2 in the morning, I woke up to find Heinemann shaking my arm. Pascal, can huh? you hear me? Uh, what? Pascal, come on, come on, wake up. Uh, uh, okay, boss. I'm awake. What's the matter? I've been thinking. Got some ideas I'd like to talk about. All right, I'm listening. It's about Mark, the things he said. They begin to make sense. Well, maybe to you, but not to me. Look, is this what I think it is? Oh, wait a minute, boss. I'm giving some light. Oh. Yeah, it's uh, some map of a mountain range, I think. There's a lot of wavy lines like they use for valleys and ridges. There's some faded writing on it, brown ink. I think it's pretty old. Sixty or seventy years at least, uh. judging by the feel of the paper. Go on, Pascal. Describe it to me. Well, what looks like a road runs across the bottom along the base of the mountains. And there's a spot on it marked Red Hill. And there's a wavy line starts there and runs about uh, halfway up the map. It runs past some dots marked Three trees. And off on one side is a little drawn of a shovel with a broken handle. And it ends at another spot marked uh, camp. It's probably a trail. Yeah, yeah I guess so. Uh, well, a camp is beside a line that looks like the edge of a ridge or a cliff. And, and there's some writing that says, If no answer, go down. Hmm. If no answer, go down. What else? Well, about a third of the way to the left from the camp, there's an X marked, and it says, Man lives here. Up toward the top, there's another X. That's marked uh, Thunder Peak. And at the very top, there's the word superstition. I guess that's about all. Good. Later, I'll have you take my finger and trace over the whole thing until I know it by heart. But this is enough to start on. To start what on? A search for whatever caused my brother's death. Something rather valuable, if my thinking is correct. All right. Only, uh... How do we go about finding it? Mark told us how. When the man comes, follow him. You know what it means? Not yet. Well, if the map's 60 years old or more, how do you figure this guy's going to be there? Because my brother found him and followed him and then died for it. We're going to follow him, too. You and I and Bryant and Daly. We're going to Phoenix. Boss, uh, I think maybe it's a kind of mistake to take Daly along. Why? Well, because he's a double-crosser. That's why I've been trying to tell you you can't trust him. Don't worry. I can handle him. He's not the one who has to be watched. Then who is? Bryant? Let's leave it for now. Call the ticket office and get four reservations on the next plane out. I've got the feeling we'd better move fast. By the next afternoon, we checked into the Hotel Westwood Ho in Phoenix and started trying to get a line on Mark Heinemann's recent activities. After two days, we still didn't have much to go on. He'd apparently hooked up with some new partner about six months before and gone into the desert. No one had seen anything of him since. An old man who ran a hardware store where Mark had bought tools and supplies finally gave us the tip-off without knowing it. You see, Mr. Heinemann, your brother was one of the fellows around here who believed in the legend of the lost Dutchman mine. I figure that's what he was really prospecting for. What is the lost Dutchman mine? Well, it's supposed to be a deposit of gold. Richer than any's ever been found. A real treasure of kings. Treasure of kings? Boss, that's what he said. Quiet, Pascal. Uh, okay, okay. According to the stories, there's supposed to be a map in existence uh, somewhere showing the exact location of the mine drawn by the Dutchman himself. Uh, during the last 50 years or so, a lot of prospectors have gone back into the superstitions looking for it, but none what of them... What do you mean by superstitions? Uh, superstition mountains out on the desert east of town. That's where the mine's supposed to be located. Why are they called superstitions? 
guess because so many fellows have gone up into them and never come back. There's supposed to be an Apache curse on anybody goes in there. The range used to be sacred to the Indian god of thunder. I see. And why do you think these men never came back? Heat, thirst, got lost, snake bite. Oh, it's awful rough country and there's no water. Then, too, there, there, there might be a kind of curse on the place at that. The double cross. Meaning? Well, blazing sun and a lust for gold can be a bad combination on a man's nerves. A lot of partners have come back out of those hills alone. Double cross, huh? Yeah. At least that's one curse that isn't limited to the superstitions. You'll find it in a lot of places. Well, we'd better go. Many thanks for your information. Well, not at all, Mr. Heineman. Sorry, I couldn't be of more help. So that's what Mark found, a gold mine. A rich one, maybe? It must be. Mark was dying and he knew it, and yet all he talked about was treasure of kings. Gold, in other words. He didn't even tell us who shot him. Maybe his partner did it. Maybe. Pascal. Yeah? I want you to buy a pair of binoculars and rent a car. Uh We're going to drive out and try to locate that red hill this afternoon. All right, boss. The one thing we've got to watch out for is that curse. That's what happened to Mark. Yeah, it's only an Indian superstition. I'm talking about the double cross. Mark wasn't the first man to die from it, and I don't think he'll be the last. Here, Pascal, let me take your arm. I rented an ash sedan from the garage at the hotel, and we headed out across the desert east of town. It was late afternoon before we finally found it. The only red hill on the east slope of the superstitions... Mr. Heinemann told me to take the binoculars and try to locate the three trees that were marked on the map. I left the car, worked my way around the far side of the hill and almost to the top before I could see the trees standing close together on the shoulder of the ridge about six miles away. Just the way they were shown on Mark Heinemann's map. I stared up at the pale blue peaks in the distance, watched the lightning flashes from near the tops of them and shivered a little. Finally, I turned and started back to the road. Dusk had fallen fast, like it does in the desert, and it was nearly dark when I reached the car and opened the door. Mr. Heinemann was slumped over in the seat with blood running from a cut in his forehead. He was unconscious. just a moment, we will return to Escape. But first, Ozzy and Harriet are back on CBS, coming to you on most of these same stations every Sunday evening, just before the Jack Benny Show. You'll find them more delightful, more welcome than ever. Ozzy and Harriet's own two boys, Ricky and David, are now playing themselves in the CBS series. So make it a family party with Ozzy and Harriet tomorrow night. And now with our star, Paul Duvov, as Pascal, and with Herb Butterfield as Mr. Heineman, we return to the second act of Escape and... When the Man Comes, Follow Him. <laughs> boss. Boss, come on, I'll wake up. You're not hurt, bad. Huh? It's only a little cut in your scalp. Come on, come on, boss. Come on, Pascal. Yeah, 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 it's me. I'm here with you now. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Pascal. Did you see him? No, no, I didn't see anybody. Who was it? What happened? A man. Talked to the Texas straw, wearing heavy boots with hobnails. Uh-huh. Came up on the side of the car next to the hill and poked a gun in my face. He knew who I was and that I was blind. He wanted the map. Did he get it? No. 
I put it under the floor mat. Good. I heard him coming. Good. Tried to grab his gun. He slugged me. Started going through my pockets. Uh-huh. Ran off in the rocks when he heard you coming. Well, it's dark up there now. No good trying to follow him. Oh, never mind. I know who he is. Oh, did he tell you? No, but it fits together. Mark had a partner. This guy? Sure. Who else could he be? Then this is the guy who shot Mark. I think so. I imagine there was a double cross and he got even, but... Wait. No, of course not. What's the matter, boss? Oh, what a fool I've been. What do you mean? I had it figured all along that Mark double-crossed his partner and got shot for it. It was the other way around. Oh. It was Mark's map. And this partner doesn't know the secret of it. Uh-huh. He probably knows where the man lives, but ten to one he doesn't know about following him. Pascal. Yeah, boss? Get the car started and head back for the hotel. We've got to get an outfit together and start up that trail tomorrow morning. There's no time to lose. Let's go. Nine o'clock the next morning, the four of us passed the Red Hill and started up the rocky trail that led toward the far-off heights of Thunder Peak. Brian and Daly each led two mules loaded with food and kegs of water, and I took care of Mr. Heineman. It was already hot, even at that time of morning, and boy, it got hotter. The line drawn on the map followed the crest of a ridge, but there wasn't really any trail. We wound around through tumbled masses of rocks and boulders, climbed over cliffs and gullies, and stumbled across crumbling slopes of debris that slid away beneath our feet and crashed down into the ravine. By noon, we were stopping to rest every ten minutes. Even the rest didn't do no good, because there wasn't any shade. By late afternoon, we'd covered only six miles and we were done in. None of us had known how hot a desert sun could get. We were ready to turn back or fight one another at the least excuse. Come on, move, you four-legged devil. No worse for you than it is for me. <laughs> What's the matter, Daly? Your tongue's hanging out. Let it hang. When I get yep. back to Frisco, I never want to see the sun again. That's uh, good for you. Nuts. It'll give you a tan. Get rid of that fish belly San Quentin complexion of yours. How would you like to have a bullet in the stomach, Pascal? Go ahead and draw if you feel lucky. Pascal, Daly, that's enough now. Yeah. Cut it out. Now, Pascal started. I don't care who started. That's enough. We're too close to a million dollars worth of gold to have the whole thing loused up because somebody lost his temper. You said a million dollars? That's right, Brian. According to the story, that's how much the Dutchman is supposed to have dug out of the mine and hidden before he was killed by Apaches without ever getting back to bring it out. A million dollars. Boy, what a man could do with a million dollars. Not a million, Daly. Twenty-five percent. Of a million. That's the amount of your share, you know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I know. I, I I was just thinking. Hey, look. Right ahead of us. We couldn't see him on account of the ridge. Trees. Three trees. Oh, boy, a little shade of shook. What's wrong? Eyes, Pascal, what is it? The trees, boss. The ones marked on the map. Only they're dead. Been dead for years, they look like. Yeah. There's not a square foot of shade under all three of them. Well... Uh, can't be helped. At least it means we're on the right trail. Well, it's still the easiest way I know to get a million dollars. Let's push on. Two hours later, we came across a shovel with a broken handle stuck on the top of a pile of rocks, so we knew we were still heading in the right direction. The shovel had been drawn on the map. We stopped there for the night. A while after dark, the boss heard somebody in the rocks, so we put out the fire we'd built and took turns standing guard. And later, when the moon was up, I thought I saw something moving a short way off, but I couldn't be sure. Yeah, it was a creepy feeling, thinking I was being watched, not seeing anybody. 
All night long, I could see the flares lightening and hear the low thunder from the top of the shadowy peak ahead of us. Was I glad when dawn finally came and we hit that trail again. But two hours later, I was wishing for sundown again. It was even hotter than the day before. And on top of it, all of us were so stiff and sore we could hardly move. We cursed and sweated and stumbled through the long, blazing day. Finally, at dusk, we reached the spot marked Camp on the map. It was close to the edge of a straight-walled cliff that yawned over a deep box canyon below. There were signs of campfires and burrow tracks. This place had been used before. Yeah, we were too tired to care. Not even bothering to unsaddle the mules, we drank from one of the kegs and dropped down in the shade of a rock ledge. Not able to move any further. After about an hour, the sun slipped behind the ridges to the west and left us in a shadow. The boss got us onto our feet, put Brian to search for something to use for a fire, and told Daly to unpack the mules. He took me with him to scout along the rim of the cliff and try to find out what was meant by the words on the map. If no answer, go down. After half an hour, we found nothing. And we were ready to decide there was no way to go down that thousand-foot rock wall when suddenly... Oh, Pascal, that was a shot. You see anything? No, no, it was back toward camp, but there's a ridge between us. I can't see a sign of any... Come on, Pascal. Yeah, take hold of my arm. Okay. Let's get back there fast. Who is it? Come on, come on, speak up or I'll shoot. Relax, Brian. It's us. That's Pascal and the boss. Did you see anybody? No. What happened? Ah, uh, somebody took a shot at Daly. He got all spooked up and fired off half a clip. It was that guy that's been following us, boss. I saw him there in the rocks not more than 100 feet away. And you missed him, I suppose. Well, it was dark. Hey, what happened to the mules? They're gone. Yeah, they stampeded when Daly fired off that gun in there. That's great. We'll have a fine time packing five kegs of water and all the supplies on our backs. Yeah, well... Boss, we don't have five kegs of water. There's only one here. One? I hadn't unpacked the mules yet, boss. I, I, I was going as soon as it got a little cooler. You fool, you stupid, lazy, blundering fool. That's what I've been telling you, boss. All the brains this dope's got... You is... shut up, Pascal. One more crack is help me. Daily, I could kill you and love it. I could stand here and pump bullets into you and love it. Do you know how long a man can live up here without water? 24 hours at the most. But we still got five gallons of water. I didn't know they were going to run off. How could oh, I... shut up. It's done. That's that. Don't see if there's any chance of finding them. And try to keep from getting yourself shot. I go with him, Brian. Okay, boss. Come on, smart boy. If you don't shot. find them in 20 minutes, come on back. Five gallons of water for four men. It'll take us a full day to get down into that canyon and find the spot where the man lives. Another day to get back here, if we're lucky. And two more days back to the road. I guess we can just barely make it. There's only one thing, boss. There's no way to get down into that canyon. I think I've got the answer there. At least that's one thing that shooting did. Listen. Hello! Hello! Sure. It's an echo. If no answer, go down. Yeah. I think we'll find a spot someplace along the rim of that cliff where there's no echo. When we do, I think there'll be some way to get down to the bottom. We'll try it in the morning. And uh, one other thing, Pascal, before they come back. Yeah, boss? From here on, keep an eye on Bryant. 
I think that gold is beginning to look pretty big to him. I, I think maybe you're making a mistake. I think Daly's a lot more to, likely to try something. He's a born double-crosser. No. He's a fool and a coward. But Brian's the one who's dangerous. And you do as I tell you. And watch out for him. Do you understand? All right. Sure, boss. Whatever you say. An hour after dawn the next morning, we found a spot on the edge of the cliffs where there was no echo. Slanting downward from it was a narrow, steep crack in the wall. The four of us took turns packing our one last keg of water and inched our way down toward the canyon floor a thousand feet below. We made it finally, rested, then struck out to the west following the map. Great chunks of rock lay tossed about it, though giants had played there, and thorn and cactus grew everywhere among them. The sunlight curled and blistered on the surface of the boulders, and always from above us and nearer now came the sullen and ominous roll of thunder. At noon, we stumbled across the bed of the ravine, nearly missing it from being half-blinded by the heat. And three hours later, we found the place where the man lives. It was marked by a monument built of broken rocks stacked up higher than our heads. Mr. Heinemann felt all over the surface of it with his hands and then told us he knew the meaning of the words, When the man comes, follow him. But he said it wasn't time yet. We'd have to wait. We sat there by the pile of stones, not talking much. Just waiting. Two hours passed. I think it was Daly who noticed it first. Look. Look there on the ground. There's somebody here. He's behind us. Hit the dirt! I don't... I don't see any... Eh, so that's it. Boys, I'm a little disappointed in you. Scared by a shadow. Look at it. It's a shadow of that pile of rocks. Looks just like a man with a hat on holding a gun. Yeah. The rock pile don't look like a man, but the shadow does. Well, since he's apparently come now, I guess we'd better follow him. Huh? How do you mean follow him? The sun's going down. The shadow must be getting longer, stretching out over the ground. So get going. Follow the direction it's pointing. Yeah, Pascal will stay here with me and keep you in line. Watch for signs of something buried. Rocks laid over it, a cleared space, something of that kind. We're not more than a few feet from a million dollars. Let's get it. Two of them worked their way along through the rocks while I stood by the monument and waved them toward one side or the other. Part of the time, they were out of sight behind a ledger boulder. An army could have hidden in that broken mess and never been noticed. I kept describing everything that was happening to the boss. And about 20 minutes went by before I heard Daly shout, We found it! Gold! It's here! We found it! He scrambled over a ledge and came running toward us, calling out and holding something in his hand. Then about 100 feet away from us, he stopped suddenly and drew his gun. Pascal, what is it? What's happening? Daly's pulled a gun on his boss. Drop it, Daly! Drop it or I'll shoot! No, Pascal! He's in between us, you fool! He's hiding in the rocks! All right, Daly, you asked for it! Pascal, no! I got him, boss! The dirty double-crosser! You fool! He was going to kill us, boss. He was coming at us with a... Wait. Wait, somebody staggered out of the rocks there and fell. Somebody I never saw before. My brother's partner, the man who's been following us. But then Daly killed him and I killed Daly. Boss, I thought Daly was shooting at us. I... I didn't know there was anybody else there. Well, you know now. I told you to keep an eye on Bryant. What's happened to him? Pascal, where's Bryant? Right behind you, sucker. Look out, boss! How's he shooting Bryant? I got him, boss. He missed me and I got him. Good. Only he didn't miss me. Boss! No, 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 boss. Pascal, you hear the thunder? Yeah, yeah, sure. It's real loud. That's funny. Same old curse. Double cross. My fault, boss. I should have done like you told me and watched Bryant. A million dollars in gold for somebody else. Don't talk like that. It's for us. For us, for you and me. I'll get you out, boss. You're not really hit bad, you know? Bad. I'm dying. You too, Pascal. What? You're going to die too. What? What do you mean? The water keg. Bryant's bullet smashed it. I heard the water running out. Huh? No. No. 
No. Am I right? Uh, yeah. It's all gone. It's three days out to the highway, Pascal. You don't have any water. You poor devil. You don't have one single drop of water. Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Today, we have presented Transcribe, When the Man Comes, Follow Him, by Ralph Bates. Adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield, with editorial supervision by John Dunkel. Starred as Pascal was Paul Dubov, with Herb Butterfield as Mr. Heineman. Featured in the cast were Harry Bartell, Jeff Corey, Barney Phillips, and Junius Matthews. Special music was arranged and played by Ivan Dittmars. Next week, you are standing on the rolling deck of a pirate junk in the China Seas. And facing you is the sinister figure of the most feared man in the Orient. A general who has just doomed you to death. Next week, we escape with an unusual story, The General Died at Dawn by Charles Booth. Be sure to tune in at the same time next week when, once again, we offer you Escape! Stay tuned for The Bob Hope Show with special guest Al Jolson next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for that comedian with the fast one-liners, Bob Hope, to welcome Al Jolson to the program. Jolson was a Lithuanian-born American singer, comedian, and actor. His act would certainly not go over in today's society. He has been dubbed the King of Blackface Performers, a theatrical convention since the mid-19th century. He was also dubbed the world's greatest entertainer at the peak of his career. His performing style was brash and extroverted, and he popularized many songs that benefited from his shamelessly sentimental, melodramatic approach. In the 20s, Jolson was America's most famous and highest-paid entertainer. Although best remembered today as the star for the first talking picture, The Jazz Singer, in 1927, he starred in a series of successful musical films during the 1930s. After the attack on Pearl Harbor, December of 1941, he was the first star to entertain troops overseas during World War II. So let's go back to 1947 for the Bob Hope Show, where he is the special guest. Tonight, from the home of Ken Murray's Blackout, the El Capitan Theater, Hollywood, Lever Brothers Company presents the President Show, starring Bob Hope and his special guest, Al Jolson. Thank you very much. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Four Every Seven Hope, telling all you people from Maine to Duluth, be sure to put Pepsodent on every tooth, and whether you're as old as Crosby or only a youth, your mouth will never be as empty as a telephone booth. I don't care whether I get laughs tonight or not. My sponsor can't call me tonight. (laughs) 
shouldn't use that kind of language anyway. But anyway, the phone strike has affected the contest for my favorite brunette. One listener sent in a jingle saying, my favorite brunette, how I wish I could date her. She's my long-distance telephone operator. <laughs> Didn't win a thing. It's going to be tough getting any messages through, too. I was out in my backyard this afternoon, heard one carrier pigeon say to another, I don't know about you, Mabel, but I ain't strike-breaking. <laughs> but I feel wonderful tonight. I've been down to Palm Springs. I had to come back. I ran out of co-signers. Uh, Palm Springs. Palm Springs, that's an old Indian expression, meaning pale face come and stay in sun to look like red man. Him look at hotel bill and go home pale face. <laughs> What prices for those rooms down there? For $50 a day, you get a room with a view of the mountains. And for $25 a day, you get one with a view of the desert. My room costs $5 a day. Every morning, the bellboy slipped a postcard of a cactus plant under my door. <laughs> I stayed at a nice place in Palm Springs. You've heard of the Lone Palm? Well, all night, the dates kept dropping out of it and hitting me in the head. <laughs> and in the morning, they don't waken you by ringing your telephone. A bellboy tiptoes in, tickles your toes, and whispers, it's later than you think. Yes, sir. Of course, I mingled with the 400 while I was there. In Palm Springs, they don't care how many they put in a room. <laughs> it was a nice room, and the towels were all marked his, hers, and put them back. <laughs> Everybody was there last week, and boy, that sunsuit Dorothy Lamour had on. She was sitting there with a copy of Forever Amber in her hand, and the book was reading her. I couldn't get regular suntan oil, so I rubbed Texaco number 30 on my back. It was so embarrassing. A Chevrolet kept coming up and nuzzling me. <laughs> hurry, 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 hurry. Gather round, Frazier. You can't see anything standing way back there. Get right down close. That's the idea. Close. Of course, it? not too close. Let's not trample each other. Now, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. We're going to give away uh, absolutely... Excuse me, mister. Off feet, bub, you're overweight. Uh, now, listen, everybody. Tell you what I'm going to do. We're going to give away absolutely free four Chevrolets every seven days. If I may interrupt... Down the uh, street, bub, you're blocking traffic. Race winners announced later in this program tonight, so hurry, hurry, hurry. Uh, say, mister, give me a chance. I'm Wendell Nile. I told you, oh, that's different. Step right up and tell them all about it. Yes, folks, hurry. Send your jingles right away if you want to win one of the next four Chevrolets. Remember to celebrate the release of Bob's new picture, My Favorite Brunette. Pepsodent's giving away four Chevrolets every seven days. And our third week's contest closes next Saturday midnight, April 12th. Again this week as grand first prizes, four Chevrolets. Brand new Fleetmaster four-door sedans. Next eight prizes, new Frigidaire cold walls. Big seven cubic foot refrigerators. Next ten prizes, crisp new $100 bills. Enter tonight. Here's all you do. Just finish a simple two-line jingle, starting with the words, My Favorite Brunette. Finish your two-line jingle so the last word of both lines rhyme. Write about anyone, your husband, wife, friends, even your dog. As simple as this. My favorite brunette is a guy named Joe. I married the man because I love him so. Mail your jingle with a top and bottom of any Pepsodent carton or toothbrush label. Mail to Pepsodent, Box 3636, 
Chicago, Illinois. That's Pepsodent, Box 3636, Chicago, Illinois. Complete rules given later in the program. Also in Sunday papers and at drug counters. Send your entry before next Saturday midnight. Pepsodent's giving away four Chevrolets every seven days. Isn't that wonderful about the Chevrolet winners? Now all that's worrying me is why that weed-lipped Kelowna hasn't phoned yet. What a lucky guy he is getting to meet my 14 favorite brunettes when they get into that train, the Santa Fe Super Chief, and escorting them around Hollywood. Many a guy would give his right arm to be in Kelowna's position. Hello, Hope speaking. Who's this? Lefty. <laughs> Professor Kelowna, well... So it's Kelowna on that end Silly boy, it's Kelowna on both ends (laughs) How are you you getting along with those 14 brunettes, Kelowna? Oh, wonderful, Hope Last night I took them all to Grauman's Theater And paid for all eight tickets myself Kelowna, eight tickets? That only accounts for yourself and seven girls How did the other seven beauties get in? (laughs) Small girls, big mustache Professor, how could seven girls hide under your mustache? I don't ask questions. I just have fun. <laughs> well, look, at Kelowna, I want to know one thing. Are these girls with you? Joan Davis of Detroit, Ollie Lick of Toronto, Betty Lou Heiser of Washington, Anne Trapedi of New York, Ursula Halloran of Pittsburgh, Loretta Summers of Seattle, Jean Devon, Chicago, Rosita Malika, New York, Mary Ellen Fields, Houston, Yvonne Llewellyn, Salt Lake City, Virginia Crider, Birmingham, Elaine Barber of Petrilla, New York, Betty Marlin, Boston, and Nancy Norton, Cleveland. Pardon? <laughs> I said, is Joan Davies... Too late, I'm on the next page. <laughs> you know, Kelowna, you're an idiot's idiot. I didn't know you cared. <laughs> You feel pretty good, don't you, Kelowna, being the only man with all those girls? Oh, but I'm not. Naturally, my friend is here, Joe Schlunk, the midget. Joe Schlunk, the midget? Who's he? Well, he's the little guy inside the telephone who says, unless this is an emergency, hang up. <laughs> hey, hey, Kelowna, what's that I hear? I'm kissing one of the girls, Hope. Huh? You're kissing one of the girls? Gee, why doesn't that ever happen to me? I'm sorry, thought you'd object to my mustache. Ah, but this is a wonderful game, Hope The girls, the girls line up I close up my eyes And and go down the line Kissing each girl And guessing where she's from You go down the line Kissing each girl And guessing where she's from? Yes, I'll show you Here's the first one (laughs) Miss Houston (laughs) Miss New York (laughs) Kelowna, who was that? Uh, Mistake (laughs) Thank you, Professor Kelowna Yes, yes That's Kelowna He gets all the beautiful brunettes and I get Oh, Miss Vinavig Well, Miss Vinavig, my favorite lunette Monster. 
that's a very pretty hairdo you have, Miss Vega. Is that for Al Jolson? Yes, it is. And I hope it lasts for Dan Johnson on next week's show. Yes, he'll be here. Ooh, it all makes me feel so good. I can just feel the years start to slip off of me. Yeah, well, you better bounce around a little. I don't think they quite made it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd tell you to go jump in the lake, but with all that air in your head, you'd probably keep afloat. Well, tell me, Miss, Miss Vake, what have you been doing this week? Oh, uh, well, I've been very busy, Mr. Hope. I started chaperoning the 14 favorite brunettes when they arrived here in Hollywood. Oh, my, but they're pretty. I'll bet they created quite a commotion coming out on the train. Yes, they came out on the Santa Fe Super Chief, and it was the first time the engine ever turned around to whistle. <laughs> you know, they really kept me busy, Mr. Hope, as their chaperone. You see, I've been telling them what every young girl should know. Miss Vague, you remember? <laughs> Escorting the brunettes around Hollywood, Miss Vague. I hope you took them by Paramount and showed them my studio. Uh, your studio? <laughs> That's right. Uh, yes, I did, Mr. Hope. Right after I took them down to Santa Monica and showed them my ocean. <laughs> All right, Miss Vague. Just tell me one thing. If yes. you're such a good chaperone, how come Kelowna's out with the girls right now? Kelowna's out with the... Oh, my goodness. He'll lead them astray, sure. Oh, well, don't worry. They're safe with him. He made me a promise. He said, hope to die. Hello? I'm dead. <laughs> well, in spite of that, Mr. Hope, the girls are perfectly safe. I've doused them with a perfume that keeps men away. It's called burp. <laughs> a perfume called burp? It sounds terrible. What's it made of? Dad's old-fashioned root beer. <laughs> well, Miss Faye, don't you want the girls to have any dates at all? Oh, yes, I do, Mr. Hope. I, I want you to arrange a date for each one of them with Cary Grant during the next 14 nights. Will you do that? You want me to arrange 14 dates with Cary Grant? Uh, yes, please. Now, you see, every, every night a brunette will show up at Cary's home. She'll be tall, dark. And wearing a black veil over her face. Uh, no, no, wait a minute, it's vague. Wait, the 14 brunettes will be on tour the next 14 nights. They won't even be in town. Oh, well, it almost worked. That's wonderful. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to present one of the all-time great names in show business. The man who thrilled us for years on the stage and then thrilled us again in the Jolson story. Here he is himself, Mr. Al Jolson, right here. Here I 
everything has gone Yes, Miss Ed, don't be laid off That's why I can hardly wait Come on, open up, open up, open up That golden gate, California Here I Juice is wonderful stuff, and yeah, that was oh, yeah. great. Really wonderful. Well, naturally, it was, Bob. You see, that song is from my picture, the Jolson story. But I saw a picture last night that was out of this world. 20th Century Fox, Alexander's Ragtime Band. A great picture, Bob, with great music. Yes, it's a wonderful picture. Yeah. You know, Al, Desi Arnaz and his boys have copied the exact style of Alexander's Ragtime Band. Really? Oh, oh I see. In fact, his maraca players are still wearing the same rags. I noticed that, yeah. <laughs> No, those aren't Maracas players, Al. They're a couple of rejects from Queen for a Day. But you know, Al... <laughs> you know, Al, your singing is such a big success, even Frank Sinatra's imitating you. Frankie is imitating me? Yes, sir. On his last program, twice he tried to get up on one knee to sing. Well... <laughs> but it's wonderful to see a healthy singer. I never saw you looking better, and you're so frisky. Tell me, how do you do it? Bob... A man's just as old as he feels. And the way I feel, I'm going out and get another bowl of pablum. Really, I think so. Take it easy, Al. I'd have a tough time burping you. I want to tell you once. You look great. Now, wait a minute, Bob. Let's forget the jokes for a few minutes, will you? You know something? What? I'd like to win a Chevrolet. (laughs) Don't tell me you said in a jingle. Sure, listen to this. My favorite brunette is Larry Parks. He makes with emotions... While I mate with the barks. <laughs> and here we go. Come on in here. Come on in here, Alexander's rat time band. Come on in here. Come on in here. It's the best band in the land. Say, Bob, come in. Come in, man, with it. Bob. What and be on? Wait a minute, will you? Ask me that again. Quick. Why don't you do get your own radio show? What and be only air only once a week? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, hurry up, Bob. We, we, we'll be on an hour. <laughs> not on this network. You're not kidding, Al. You know you've been on so many radio programs. I hear the other day a housewife went into a grocery store and asked for a box of Jolsons. They're good with mustard But listen, Bob <laughs> Just how many guest appearances Have you made on the radio? Fifteen Counting tonight? No, I don't count benefits 
what? Hey, what do you want more money for? You know, there's no way you can take it with you. I know. But by the time I'm ready to leave, maybe Canada will have figured out something. You can't tell. You can't. <laughs> I feel the same way about Crosby. But you know, Al, we haven't mentioned my favorite brunette for seven or eight seconds. How'd you like the picture? Well, I don't think you have anything to worry about. You don't? No, after all, I was older than you and I made my comeback. <laughs> Yeah, but it took two of you to do it. Oh, please. You know, when I was a kid in Cleveland, Al, I used to dream of being like you. So really? I started telling jokes yes. and more jokes, yes. and now I'm here in Hollywood, too. That's right, Bob. Who says crime don't pay? That's what I mean. You know, I don't have to do this for a living. No. I can always sell eyebrow tweezers to John L. Lewis. Bob. You won't get no coal next season. <laughs> we'll need it out here, too. Ah, but memories are great, Bob. I, I remember the first time I met you. Yeah, it was at the swankiest hotel in Cleveland, wasn't it? That's right, Bob. And one thing I've always regretted. I never got a chance to apologize for not tipping you when you brought up the ice water. I remember. <laughs> oh, think nothing of it. Oh. Your pocket was one of the easiest I ever picked. Well, think nothing of it. I'll never forget that time we first met. I was playing in Cleveland, and I phoned down to the hotel operator. Operator, operator. Yes, sir. Operator, this is Al Jolson. Al Jolson! Oh, <laughs> And Sinatra thinks he started that. Al Jolson! Oh, Elsie, you send me! You send me! You send me! Okay, I'd like to send you, but the elevator don't go down that far. <laughs> Say, operator, where's that bellboy with my thing? Never mind, I think he's at the door now. Mr. Jolson? Who'd you think it was, Sophie Tucker? Uh... <laughs> Here's your suit, Mr. Jolson. What took you so long, bellhop? I just got to work and I had to take it off. Well, here you are, sir. Do you always carry clothes <laughs> that way? Yes, sir. Doesn't a hanger leave a mark on your nose? <laughs> Only when they have overcoats on them. What's your name, son? Leslie Hope. Yes. I'm trying to be a comedian, Mr. Jolson. Mm -hmm. Listen to this joke. It'll kill you. Yeah. Every man has a wife, but a nice man has his pick. Isn't that a foul? How it, was that, Mr. Jolson? It stinks, but stop tickling me. Listen. <laughs> what, what makes you think you'll ever be a comedian? Well, last night I won first prize at amateur night over at the Bijou. What did he give you for first prize? Two tickets for the Rivoli. Mm. But I'm sure I'll make a great comic Just a moment Let me give you a little advice, son Show business is a very tough racket You go from town to town Knocking your brains out It's a long, tough grind to the top And if you get into it You'll wish you were dead Then why are you in it? The money is great <laughs> Now look, son, I gotta get dressed I have a show to catch Well, here's your coat, sir But where's the pants and the suit? Did it have pants? No, the jacket came with a bubble. Now, look, son, wait a minute. Don't stand there, boy. Find my pants. I'll phone down and see if the bell captain has them. Yeah. Hello? Oh, listen, bell captain, Mr. Jolson doesn't have his pants. Well, tell him to leave by the back entrance. <laughs> and what does Jolson's pants look like? You only have one pair like them. They have a padded left knee. What? <laughs> let me, let me, let me talk to the bell captain. Hello? This is Al Jolson. Who? Al Jolson. Mammy. Son of boy. Dad, I got one man's family on the wire. What? 
Listen, you run to the tailor shop and get my pants pronto. Okay. What am I running for? My name ain't Prado. <laughs> Listen, Mr. Jolson, while you're waiting, I'll show you my act. Yeah? What can I do? You caught me with my pants down. Now look. Oh, no, wait a minute. I'll show you what I've got to just listen. I'll sing one of your greatest songs. Okay. Oh, California, here I come, yeah. Right back where I started from, yeah. Where flowers of flowers bloom in the spring. Oh, these more. <laughs> Give me a chance, Mr. Jolson. Each morning a dawn and birdies sing and everything. A sun-kissed miss said, don't be late, don't be late. That's why I can hardly wait. I wait. Open, open up that golden gate. Oh. Opened up the girl. <laughs> Opened up the pearly gate, too, didn't I? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, singing one of Irving Berlin's most beautiful songs, Always. I'll be loving you always With a love that's true Things you plan need a helping hand. I will understand all away, all away. Days may not be fair, all That's when I'll be there, all For just an hour, not for just a day, not for just a year, but all away. I'll be loving you always with a love that's true, all away. The things you plan need a helping hand. I will understand always, always. This may not be fair, always. That's when I'll be there, always. Not for just an hour,
thanks for the memory of what Easter season brought, indeed as well as thought, the good you did for each crippled kid with the Easter seals you bought. And we thank you so much. And thanks for the memory of this month that set aside in a drive that's nationwide to help ensure a cancer cure that's bound to turn the tide. And we thank you so much. Folks, the king size, thank you to Al Jolson. Al Jolson, there's the kind of a showman I want to be when I grow up. A showman like Al Jolson only happened once in a lifetime. Same in the songwriting game. You only get one Irving Berlin in a lifetime. Those wonderful tunes in Alexander's ragtime band surely prove it. Confidentially, Paramount tells me that pictures like my favorite brunette only come once in a lifetime, too. And at first, I didn't believe it, but Paramount is a big company, so I guess they wouldn't dare say it if it wasn't true. Well, that's all, except good luck to 14 of my favorite brunettes here in the audience. 14 girls from all over America who won brunette beauty contests and spent their Easter holiday in Hollywood as guests of Paramount and yours truly. I played host, Paramount played cashier. <laughs> These girls are leaving in five minutes to grab the Santa Fe Super Chief, and I hope they go back home feeling as I do that our little old movie capital is a pretty good burg after all. Look at these brunettes. Aren't they lovely? Yes, sir. No wonder America is such a beautiful country. Next week, we'll have that MGM charmer, Van Johnson, with us. Until then, good night. Reminding you to send your jingles right away. Hudson is giving away four Chevrolets every seven days. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Gunsmoke, followed by the Aldridge family. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.